We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. This episode is brought to you guys by Untuck It. Uh, my name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And he's a midday producer over at 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening? Oh, not a lot. I made the terrible mistake of making a joke on the internet tonight. And yeah, it's not you, it's not going well for me. Why don't you take take the listeners through it if they don't follow you on Twitter? So I was watching, well, following the Clemson LSU national title game. We're recording this Monday night. And the tweets coming in about Joe Burrow were wild. It's like <laughs> he's Tom Brady mixed with Joe Montana with a little bit of Brett Favre. It's like, you guys are describing the best quarterback that's ever put on a uniform. Why is he not a pro already? Like, this is outrageous. Um, And it was just every superlative and hyperbole that there is for a quarterback, Joe Burrow was getting. So I thought it would be funny (laughs) to tweet out, important question for Niner fans, knowing what you know now about Joe Burrow, would you rather... the 49ers have gone 0-16 this year and drafted him instead of going to the NFC Championship game. I purposely worded it like that because I thought it was such a clear, like, outrageous joke that everybody would go, ha-ha, good joke, moving on. <laughs> Wrong. Um... I got, let me see. Let me find some of the responses here. You are obviously trolling or you have no business making a living in sports. SMH. The SMH really stings there. (laughs) A lot of I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. Um, Something about a family member of mine. Um, I need professional help. Lay off the drugs. Stuff like that. I just... I really thought that that was going to be a good like, hey, the Niners are in the NFC Championship, and that's a cool thing that they don't have to worry about the draft anymore. And that's not how it went. And that's on me. I need to wear that. Yeah, sometimes people like to overreact on Twitter. Um, Yeah, I I noticed that too. 
so speaking of the NFC championship game, hey, the Niners are going to be in it next week because they beat the Minnesota Vikings in the divisional round 27 to 10 on Saturday at Levi's Stadium. Uh, really sort of a throwback performance to the early portion of the season when the Niners defense was playing at a really dominant level. They were running the ball really effectively and didn't need a whole lot from Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and that's kind of what we saw. And and you and I spoke on the podcast last week previewing the game, mentioning that we thought there was a chance that the Vikings would provide a really stiff test because of how good their front seven is. Um, I think the, the most surprising part of it for me was that the Niners really pushed the Vikings around. They ran the ball 47 times. That's the most rushing attempts they've had all season. Kyle Shanahan said afterwards that his message to the team throughout the week was the first team to run for 30 attempts is most likely going to be the team that wins. Well, the Niners rushed 47 times. The Vikings uh, ran the ball 10 times. So they certainly had the advantage there. They possessed the ball for 38 minutes. Really just a complete throttling uh, of Minnesota. Quan Alexander, Jaquaski Tart, and D Ford were back. They all played pretty well. Um, Kyle, you were up there in the press box. It sounded like Levi Stadium. The the fans were were loud and and certainly into the game. I think everybody in the lower bowl was standing just for about the entire first three quarters. Uh, what what was your your biggest takeaway from from that game? And and uh, did it change anything you think about the 49ers or just reaffirm what you already knew? It reaffirmed a little bit what I what I already knew. I know we said on this podcast and I said on a couple different forums that I thought this game was going to be close. I thought the Vikings were going to cover the seven points. I thought it was going to come down to, you know, maybe last possession or two, but I was talking to you before the game down on the field with, with another media person. Yeah. We have field passes. No big deal. (laughs) Um, No. And Kevin Clark of the ringer was down there and he asked, how do you think this game's going to go? And I said, it feels like as this game gets closer, I feel more and more like the Niners are going to win by a couple scores. And then I said, the recency bias of the Vikings beating the Saints has kind of worn off. And I'm realizing that the Vikings are the Vikings. Like, there's a reason that, you know, they weren't the number one seed. There's a reason they had all these bad games throughout the year. And then he said, I'm not sure the Saints were that good to begin with. And after watching Saturday, I think that might have been the case because the Niners punked the Vikings in every facet. Yeah, I I think there is some truth to that, but I also think a lot of it has to do with circumstance and it's not necessarily always who you play, but when you play them, right? Like a lot of NFL teams, regardless of what happened the previous week, the Vikings had consecutive road games with the second one coming on a short week facing a rested 49ers team that got three starters back healthy on defense. Yeah. Right. And, and they had a very good plan for what they wanted to do. George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk were dominating the edges in terms of blocking in the, in the running games. Tevin Coleman had a throwback performance. You said he had a career high 22 attempts, 105 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I, I think it was very clear that Coleman really benefited from the bye because he looked a little bit slow and and um, I don't know if lethargic is the right word. He just wasn't all that explosive in the last month of the season or so. And we saw Raheem Mostert really become the 49ers feature running back. Well, Mostert at, at one point in the game uh, suffered a cramp in his calf. And meanwhile, uh, Coleman w- was rolling and running the ball really, really well. And so the 49ers just kind of stuck with him. And then you know, Richard Sherman gets the gets the interception um, after the 49ers make it 17 uh, 10 in the in the third quarter. Richard Sherman picks off Kirk Cousins. Um, a bad throw looked like a miscommunication between Cousins and Adam Thielen. The 49ers go the other way with an eight play drive, all runs, and they go into the end zone. And that sort of encapsulated what happened. The, the Niners defense makes a play. The offense controls controls it, gets what they want from the Vikings defensive front, which was packing the box with eight or nine guys basically the entire game. And the 49ers were still being effective. They were getting enough yards on the ground to where they could stick to it and only needed 19 pass attempts from Jimmy Garoppolo, which was a season low. Um, Yeah, it, it just sort of reminded everybody or me, I guess, that like 
you, you learn about what a team is throughout the entire season, right? Like you, especially when you have a buy allowing a team to recalibrate itself. Like we might've thought that what we saw over the second half of the year, when the 49ers defense took a pretty significant step back and the team had to win more with Garoppolo throwing a ton of times and, and winning with his arm. We thought that might be what the 49ers have to be in the playoffs because that's what we saw most recently. But when the team got its guys back on defense and they were playing uh, with that energy, particularly the front four, right? Like the Niners sacked Kirk Cousins five times, all five of their first round picks along the defensive line had sacks. Um, Nick Bosa had two. He was probably the best player on the field on Saturday. And it's just like, okay, this is, this is what the 49ers are now that they're fully healthy. Getting Jaquaski Tart back to sort of stabilize things in, in the secondary, in the middle of the field. And he made a few plays close to the line of scrimmage. Um, D Ford had a sack at the end of the first half that you know, on a third down that forced the Vikings to, to kick a field goal, to settle for a field goal after Jimmy Garoppolo threw that bad interception to Eric Kendricks, which gave the, the Vikings a ball at the, at the 30-yard line. Um, the Vikings ran the ball 10 times. Like I said, Dalvin Cook, uh, who was the focus of the team, and that a, a few different guys said it. They're like, stopping the run is going to be the most important thing. Well, Dalvin Cook had 18 yards on nine carries. Um, and they tried a bunch of different pass plays to him and a bunch of screens. He had eight catches, or sorry, six catches for eight yards. <laughs> so Dalvin Cook Man. had 15 touches and 25 yards. Uh, which is not a whole lot. So the 49ers defense really did play better than they have in quite a long time. You probably have to go back to the last time they played the Packers in, in late November, which is fitting, which we'll talk about in a little bit, because the Niners are going to play the Packers in the NFC title game, obviously. But um, just a really strong performance. But let's talk about Garoppolo real quick. Um, like I said, 11 of 19, 131 yards, one touchdown, an interception. Uh, 74.7 rating, obviously not one of Garoppolo's best performances. He had that bad interception. Kyle Shanahan said today, Monday, that it was just a bad decision. Um, it, it wasn't a throw Garoppolo should have made looking looking for Debo Samuel on, on the deep post route there. It was probably something where Kyle Shanahan said that Garoppolo should have checked down or, or went a different direction, went through his progression a little bit further. Um, we've seen it from Garoppolo. Like he has those every once in a while, but it, it ultimately didn't cost the 49ers in a significant way because the defense played really well. And, you know, Garoppolo's stat line probably would have looked a little bit better if, you know, Kendrick Bourne had a couple of drops. George Kittle had a drop on the first series. Um, you know, we're, we're probably looking at something like 14 of, you know, 14 of 19 with, you know, a hundred and, I don't know, 60 yards, 170 yards instead of 131, which would have bumped up his stat line a little bit. So it, it was a little bit misleading, but obviously I think it was only, what, six pass attempts after halftime. The 49ers were very content right. on running the ball. Um, what what did you come out of the game thinking about a, a Garoppolo? And, and are you concerned at all, or is it just sort of one of those games that we've seen him have this season? Yeah, I think we've seen enough good stuff from Garoppolo that I'm not concerned at all. If he had been kind of doing this all year and then maybe had a couple of good games late, that'd be one thing. But uh, he has ups and downs. And then people want to point to to the NFL's best quarterbacks, you know, your Drew Brees or your Aaron Rodgers or, or whoever it is. And they're going to say, well, they don't have games like that. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo is not that guy. Like, I just I just don't think he is. But they can win a Super Bowl with him, and we've seen him be really, really good. And if he bounces back and throws for 280 yards and three touchdowns this week, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So I'm not that concerned. Uh, the, the bigger issue for me was he just seemed, at least isolated to this game, is he just seemed off. He had that that completion to Debo Samuel across the middle I think it was on the first drive that was way behind him uh he had another slant to Debo that he threw behind him uh, but then he also had a couple of really nice throws the touchdown to Kendrick Bourne was nice he had the deep uh the deep over route to Emmanuel Sanders a lot like that route in Arizona with the timing route uh, I just said route like four times but mm -hmm. <laughs> uh but the timing on that was great and he dropped it in the bucket he threw a dime so 
it was it was a super up and down performance. He has to be better moving forward, but I'm not concerned about his ability to be better, and I think he will be. Yeah, and I think some of the stuff we said about the Vikings defense in that case was true, right? Like yes. we knew the Vikings yes. were going to take away George Kittle, and Kittle only had three catches for 17 yards, 16 yards, and um, and so I, I do think the Vikings coverage was was really smart like Mike Zimmer had a good plan in terms of defending the pass what he didn't really plan for or at least what his plan um couldn't supersede I guess was the fact that the 49ers offensive line was going to push them around and I think to me you know we talked a little bit about before recording this like what surprised us about this game I think that was the most surprising thing to me because if you would have asked me who was going to win the line of scrimmage when the 49ers offense was on the field, I probably would have said the Vikings mostly because of how good their defensive line is overall, right? Like their inside guys are really good. Linville Joseph is, is a really good player. Obviously Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin are really good players. Um, I just thought it would have been really difficult for the 49ers to run the ball, but they didn't really have any problem. Like Ben Garland, the, the backup center who's now starting because Weston Richburg's on IR with, with a torn tendon in his knee, Garland had a really nice game. And, you know, I don't think pro football focus grades are gospel, but Garland had the second highest grade of any 49ers offensive player uh, behind Kendrick Bourne, who got his grades because he had what three really good catches, um, yep. not, not including the touchdown. So well, including the touchdown, including the touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, he had two third down, one like leaping, one one sort of diving when Garoppolo got hit. Yeah. Uh, what on the second series, I want to say something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Garland played really well, and and we've seen him get to the second level, the second and third level on running plays and and things like that. But like when your backup center can play at that high of a level, um, I mean that's a really good sign. Right. Because if you were to ask me before the playoffs, even like what's probably the biggest concern for the 49ers, they don't have a whole lot because it's a it's a really balanced team and the and the roster is good and their health is pretty good right now. But the exception is center and center is obviously a super important position in Kyle Shanahan's scheme, which is why they went out and made Weston Richburg one of the highest paid guys in the league, giving him forty seven and a half million dollars over five years. Right. So. Yeah. Um, the fact that Ben Garland played as well as he did against a quality defensive front, I think is a really, really good sign for the 49ers, because I would have told you that that was the biggest area of concern going into the playoffs, maybe aside from like, you know, Garoppolo's propensity to turn the ball over. And obviously we haven't seen that. Um, you know, they went 13 and three, like (laughs) Garoppolo did turn the ball over quite a bit, but it's not that hasn't really been the thing that that's hurt the 49ers in any significant way uh, to this point. But well, I think that's really, yeah. What, what do you think about that? They went into a playoff game against a playoff team in the postseason. <laughs> I just, it, so much of the criticism about the Niners this year was okay. Beat a playoff team, beat a good team. Okay. We'll do it in the postseason. And then they did it and they dominated the Vikings. It was a blowout. It was 27 to 10. And it wasn't even that close. Right. Like the the Vikings after their touchdown drive had 24 yards. Uh, no, sorry, eight yards on their next seven drives. It was 24 plays. Like they got dominated in every facet after going into New Orleans and beating the Saints. Like the Vikings aren't a bad team, and the Niners made them look terrible. And it's not that the Vikings played poorly. The the 49ers did that. And there was never a point in that game where it felt like the the 49ers had lost control. And even after the Garoppolo interception, they, uh, the Vikings kick a field goal. Uh, it, it, even then, to make it 14-10, it just never, it never felt like that game was going to get away from the Niners. And that's because I think top to bottom, they're the best team left. And they showed it on Saturday. Yeah. Going back to the pass rush, which I think is is really the thing, right? I, yes. I think the pass yes. rush is really the most important thing when you're talking about the 49ers defense. They had, I just counted, they had three third down sacks, like sacks on third and long. Um, D Ford and Joe Staley talked about it a little bit afterwards. He basically said D Ford unlocks the entire pass rush. 
yeah. because his speed has to be accounted for. And so much of what the 49ers do in terms of like two man games or alignments, they align D Ford over guards with Nick Bosa on the same side. And Bosa talked to, uh, I, they, they did get a sack on, on one of those plays and Bosa talked about it. He was like, he was like, dude, guards are j- just like not, they're not used to speed that you have and and between you know having Bosa and Ford line up on the same side with that's Ford unfair. going against an inside guy that's really really tough to block and so with the 49ers being able to take away the run and then keep Minnesota in uh you know obvious passing situations in third down allowing the 49ers just pin their ears back while the 49ers meanwhile are playing from ahead the entire game because they score uh, on their very first drive, but it's just like, it's not even, you know, all these guys winning their matchups or everything. I think the 49ers, what might be underrated about their pass rush is how they do it as a team, like how they collapse the pocket in a way that the quarterback really can't escape, or at least like maybe Russell Wilson could, could escape some situations like that, but against a non-mobile quarterback, like Kirk Cousins, the entire pocket collapses. And then if one guy misses, another guy is right there to wrap him up. And that happened a few different times, right? Like there were a couple sacks. There were probably two or three that DeForest Buckner could have been given credit for, uh, but they went to other guys because they cleaned him up. And I think the way they're pass rushing as a, as a unit right now, all four of those guys with Buckner and Armstead on the inside or on one side and then, you know, Ford and, and Bosa on the other, it's like, that's a really scary proposition for any offense. And I think it underscores the importance of having D Ford back in the fold, even if he isn't playing that much, just because of the the speed element that he provides. And it's completely unique to anybody else on the roster. So like when you're missing it, it's not like you can just throw plug in another guy in there and, and you could at least replicate that element of his skill set. He's the only real speed rusher that they have. And Nick Bosa can do that from time to time, but he's much more of a power guy and, and he's more versatile than Ford. But Ford's speed is is really what makes him unique. And it just like just like Staley said, it unlocks everything because it allows them to dictate what the offensive line is doing in terms of their protections rather than the offensive line dictating what the defense does because they have an advantage knowing that, okay, we have three guys that we need to account for because we know one of these dudes is, is a backup and we could leave him one-on-one and probably win. And then we're blocking four on three where now when all five of those guys are concerned about those four and all the different stunts and different things they can do and the different alignments, like that's a real problem. And I think even the best offensive lines are going to struggle with that. I don't think this is a coincidence regarding Ford. So before he got hurt in week 11 against the Cardinals, before he got hurt, the 49ers were giving up 143.8 passing yards per game, which is wild. And they had (laughs) eight touchdowns, 11 interceptions. They had 35 sacks in the first nine games, which is remarkable. Then they're averaging four sacks a game in the first 11 weeks. And then then Ford went down. Yeah, in week and, 11. Yeah. And after Ford went down, the Niners gave up 201.9 passing yards a game. Uh, they gave up 15 touchdowns to just one interception, and they had 13 sacks over the final seven games. I and, think during the final five, they had four sacks combined. Uh, that sounds right to me. Yeah, that's right. And they gave up 12 touchdowns and one interception. And that coincides with both Jaquaski Tart and D Ford going down. I think D Ford going out is a little more important though, for all the things you just outlined. Like he makes, not only is he tough to block, but trying to handle him makes everyone else harder to block. Like it's, it's really, I think as easy as that. And you saw it Saturday, like the, the Vikings just didn't have an answer. They also got Quan Alexander back, um, which was, which was massive because, and this isn't necessarily a tangible thing, um, but like the energy, the energy with Quan Alexander and what he brings is real. And the buzz around the team all week was different because Quan was back. You talk to guy, you know, they didn't, 
they they did say how nice it would be back to have Alexander back, but like talking to the guys after the game and then in retrospect, we're like, yeah, we were really fired up this week to get Quan back. And he's like, he broke down the team huddle uh, after warmups. Um, he was flying around the field. And I think the funniest part about Quan Alexander's return um, is that he didn't even show up on the stat sheet. Literally didn't have a stat. Didn't have a stat, but I mean, I think there were a few like half or assisted tackles oh, could yeah. have been given. And there were, especially on, you mentioned the screens the Vikings were running earlier. Right, uh, right. He, he he blew up several of those screens by, by being near the pass catcher when he got it. And that's what Kyle Shanahan said. He was like, one of the reasons why we, why the Niners were able to slow down Dalvin Cook was because of what Quan Alexander was doing in the screen game. And even if he wasn't making the tackle, he was forcing Cook to stop and change directions. Meanwhile, that allowed everybody else in pursuit yeah. to come make the play. So um, Alexander was was absolutely a really important player just in terms of how the game went um, and you know the emotional impact he had of his return. And we talked about it last week too, like the possibility that like, yeah, maybe this is just a buzzsaw game. Right. And from the defensive side, it absolutely was a buzzsaw game. I think what kept it from being a total blowout was the fact that the Vikings defense is still good. Yeah. And while the 49ers were able to run on them, they weren't really able to get what they wanted passing. Um, so, you know, I, I think the 49ers are, I mean, Kyle Shanahan said it today. There were no injuries coming out of the game. D Ford didn't have a setback. Uh, Moster, while he did have that calf cramp, um, he's not expected to be hindered at all during practice this week. So he's going to be full go. And the 49ers are basically, with the exception of Weston Richburg and nose tackle DJ Jones, whose absence wasn't really felt all that much. Nope. Like, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Vikings rushed for 21 yards. You know, we talk about DJ Jones as, as probably their best, you know, one of their best run defenders up front. Like they were just fine without him against a good running team, the second best running team in the NFC. And, uh, and you know, the, the Niners are healthy. And if you look at the re remaining four teams, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say that the Niners are, are in the best position right now of, yeah. of anybody. Um, and you can make a very strong case for the chiefs. I think the, the chiefs are, are, legitimately terrifying in terms of the way the offense is playing right now. And Derrick Henry for, for Tennessee is also on a ridiculous, maybe historic role uh, running the ball for, for Tennessee, but like literally a historic role. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but just in terms of like offense, defense, um, talent, the way, the way the team is clicking, like the Niners are, um, the Niners are in a great spot to beat the Packers. Like they're in a really, really good spot. Just going back to what you were talking about with the Niners coming out of that game healthy. Uh, aside from that, they only played 46 defensive snaps. Right. Meanwhile, the Packers played the Sunday night game, uh, and they played 64 snaps on both sides of the ball. Uh, and then they're traveling on a short week. So uh, again, when you when you want to talk about well, it's a normal week for them. The Niners get a longer week because they uh, played That's Saturday. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I worded that improperly. So uh, still, the, the point is they played 18 more defensive snaps than the Niners who came out of the game healthy and like relatively, uh, I, I don't want to say rested because you don't, you're not ever rested after an NFL football game, but uh, they had a, Speak they had for a, yourself. They, <laughs> they had they had a relatively light day, and when you talk about um, things going their way, those those absolutely factor in. Yeah, let's. I mean, Nick Bosa, thirty five snaps. Fewest he's played in snaps. a long time. Yeah. Uh, Eric Armstead, thirty four snaps. I mean, these these guys usually play like fifty snaps a game. Yeah. Um. So yeah. they were. It was definitely a, a relatively light day. Uh, because the defense was playing so well, like how many three and outs did the, uh, did the Vikings have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three and outs. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so if there's a negative to come out of the game, I guess we got to talk about the cornerback spot. 
Um, Akella Witherspoon got benched after allowing a 41-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs. I thought when Kirk Cousins initially made the throw and, and looked over and saw Witherspoon's position that he was going to make the interception, and I think Witherspoon yep. did the same thing. And then he sort of stumbled and misjudged it, and Diggs did a really nice job to regain position, and then Diggs made the catch with Witherspoon on the ground and then backpedaled into the end zone. And then from there, um, the 49ers went with Emmanuel Mosley, who had a really good game uh, thereafter, and he broke up a few passes. Uh, he had good coverage. He uh, There was one play he rode Kyle Rudolph out of bounds on a third down to force a punt. Um, so, I mean, it's a positive seeing how, how Mosley played, but, uh, obviously you're a little bit disappointed in the fact that Akella Witherspoon now has really had three straight, not so stellar games. Um, but on the bright side, Kyle Shanahan said this today at his press conference that, you know, after Witherspoon was benched, he wasn't at all upset about it. I, I saw a video of him speaking after the game and, and he was like, he wasn't upset. Um, he, he's had the right mindset, like, you know, putting the team first, all that kind of stuff. Witherspoon apparently went to special teams coach Richard Hightower after getting benched and told him that he wants all of Emmanuel Mosley's special teams reps so Mosley can focus on defense and, and have all the energy he needs to, to perform on defense, which, and a lot of people have made this point, which I think you did too on, on NinersWire.com, um, that it speaks to the culture in the locker room and, and where the 49ers are right now just as a collective unit, you know, as like the, the locker room is a living, breathing organism that's, that's made up of all these different pieces uh, with everybody in there. Um, and it's as healthy as a locker room of a locker room as I think you could have right now. And, and you have guys, you know, even Joe Staley talks about it and he's not typically one to bullshit you on stuff like this. Like, Staley says, I've been on teams where we won um, and we've enjoyed being around each other, but like this is an entirely different level. And I'm paraphrasing what he said after the game because I don't have the quote in front of me. But um, I think that's going to be a, something that is talked about a lot and written about a lot coming up here because the continuity, just in terms of the personalities, the culture, everything like that um, is really in a good place for the 49ers right now. And one point, I think Matt Mayoko brought this up, um, that I think is important to to remember. And and he brought it up because he had uh, Warriors GM Bob Myers on his podcast. And one thing Bob Myers said, and in, in, uh, if he were to give advice to the 49ers, is that you know enjoy it right now because it's probably never going to be this good again. Like the the ascension to winning is, is always the most you know, the funnest part, um, but maintaining right. that level is is much more difficult. And so, you know, if the 49ers do win the title this year, I mean, this is the reason why it's so hard to repeat as champions in any sport. And this is why the Warriors, you know, dynasty sort of eroded was that it's really hard to stay at that level. Um, and and th this is a conversation that we could have way down the line. And obviously they have to win the Super Bowl before we can even like really have it. But the point being, like, things are really good right now for the Niners because they are on this ascension. Yeah. Um, and Witherspoon being, you know, willing to take Mosley's special team reps so Mosley can focus on defense, I think, sort of speaks to that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. When I when I heard Shanahan say that in his press conference, I thought maybe I heard wrong just because that sounds like such a, like, that's just not a thing you hear you know guys are prideful and they get benched and they get upset and they sit on the bench and their teammates have to come over and pick them up and say hey you know put your helmet on and stand on the sideline we might need you but for him to go seek out the special teams coach and say i'm good but emmanuel mosley needs to play well so give me his special team snaps uh, that's a, to me, like, that's a really big deal. And I, I understand that taking special team snaps isn't a super important thing, but it's more the principle of the, of the matter that, that stood out to me. And it said a lot about the team. It said a lot about Akella Witherspoon. And I think it makes Kyle Shanahan's job a lot easier when it comes to making a decision on who's starting next week. Like if you don't, if you can take egos out of it or at least take, yeah, I guess if you can take egos out of it, it just makes managing that situation a lot easier. 
All right. Well, speaking of being team players, let's take a quick break to tell you about our friends at Untuck It. Hal, you have an Untuck It shirt. Do you have a, a, a quick review? I really enjoy the fact that I don't feel like a toddler when I put it on. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you put on a dress shirt and it's super long and it's like, this is my shirt, but it feels like I'm 10 wearing my dad's shirt. Uh, I'm really happy that it doesn't fit like that. Uh, so you've seen an untucked button down, right? And they look bad because they weren't meant to be worn that way. And thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that's actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your shape or size, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. I have an Untuck It shirt. I might wear it Sunday to the NFC title game. We will see. Depends on my laundry situation, truth be told. Uh, choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the promo code BLUE. For 20% off at checkout. That's a pretty serious discount. That's untuckit.com, U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, and promo code BLUE for 20% off your Untucket order. So the other half of this discussion that, uh, that we have to have is the fact that the 49ers are hosting the Green Bay Packers in a rematch of Week 12's blowout at Levi's Stadium. And the Niners won 37-8. Aaron Rodgers had 3.2, averaged 3.2 yards per attempt, which was the lowest of any start in his career. He's had a pretty good career. Um, and it was the last time the Packers lost a game. The... Packers and Seahawks played the most predictable Packers and Seahawks game in Lambeau Field that I can remember, um, which is, I mean, it was funny, like, the Packers go up 21-3 at halftime, and I don't know about you, but I had absolutely zero doubt in my mind that the Seahawks were going to make it a one-score game at some point. Oh, that and was that's, 100% happening. That, that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, similar to the, the Niners Seahawks game where the Niners went up big in the first half, the Seahawks had no points in the first half and then reeled off three straight touchdown drives. Um, they did the same exact thing, except, uh, it was a little bit less dramatic because so the Seahawks score three straight touchdown drives to open the second half, just like they did against the Niners in week 17. And then Pete Carroll decides to punt, uh, with what, three minutes left. That was, that was I don't I want to say it's unbelievable, but it's Pete Carroll, so it's not. It's peak Pete Carroll. And it's peak like old school defensive coaches. That's kind of what they do. Yep. Um, it was fourth and eleven at the Seahawks 36 after Wilson was sacked on third and five. I mean, look, they had all their timeouts, but there was two forty one left in the game. That's brutal. Anyway. Aaron Rodgers has... Dude, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't need to talk about the Seahawks, thankfully. Um, I was I was secretly hoping... It's, I guess it's not a secret, but I was hoping that the Packers would win because... Yeah, you openly I've, said that on the podcast. Yeah, I've written a lot <laughs> about the Seahawks this year in the two games, and like it would have been really difficult from a content originality perspective to dive back into what makes the Seahawks a tough matchup for the Niners. Um. So I am relieved that it's the Packers because I think it's a more interesting game from a storyline perspective. And that's you know, obviously subjective because some people find the Niners Seahawks thing still interesting. Um, anyway, Aaron Rodgers makes a couple ridiculous throws, including a long one to Devontae Adams to convert a third down and then another one to Jimmy Graham. I know the spot was controversial, um, but Aaron Rodgers, 16-27, 243 yards, no interceptions, uh, 
just doing Aaron Rodgers stuff. I mean, Devontae Adams, eight catches on 11 targets for 160 yards, two scores. Um, Aaron Jones had two scores, 21 rushes, 62 yards. I mean, it's it, it was the most predictable, just the way the game went. As soon as the Packers went up big, I was like, well, this is going to be a one-score game either way. The Seahawks could pull it out, but ultimately it was the Packers. And, and I think all the injury issues that Seattle had, whether it be at running back, or along the offensive line or at tight end. Um, they had one of their, uh, I don't know, third or fourth receivers dropped a crucial pass on on that last drive, I think just yeah. before that punt that we mentioned. Um, I ultimately think that their lack of roster depth and maybe their defensive struggles that have been pretty prevalent throughout the season just kind of came back to, to finally, you know, everything sort of came to roost. Like the fact that, well, this, the Seahawks had a plus seven point differential for the entire season sort of indicates that maybe they weren't as good as a lot of 11 win teams have been. And they just had Russell Wilson, which had been the reason. But well, and I, I think I think that's that's the biggest issue. And I know this isn't a Seahawks podcast, but it felt like watching that game last night. If their offense had originated in even like the 2010s instead of the 1960s like they'd be a lot better and it feels like Russell Wilson doing things is a total accident I remember Troy Smith had a game for the 49ers where he threw for like 330 yards and Mike Singletary said after the game like yeah that's something we got to look at and fix and I feel like that's how (laughs) Pete Carroll views it Russell Wilson does something. He's like, whoops, take that out of the playbook. Uh, and that it, it feels like they didn't use him until it was too late last night. And that's probably good for the 49ers because I think the Packers are way better than the Seahawks. But mm-hmm. I think because of what we saw last night and what you said, like Russell Wilson's super dangerous all the time. And it feels like no lead is ever safe. And the Seahawks just managed to stick around in games. And right. the fact the Niners don't have to deal with that is probably a good thing. Yeah, we have a group, a group, ch- uh, group chat, group text chat with with a couple other people. And one thing I mentioned, I, I threw in there yesterday was that I think the Packers are better than the Seahawks, but I think the 49ers would still rather play the Packers. Yes, and I think that's true because of uh, familiarity. Obviously. You know, the two teams played a couple weeks ago. They played twice this season. The Seahawks had already beaten them. Um, they know Russell Wilson is the most dangerous guy in the field. Um, really, at any point in the game, even if he's down by, you know, three scores <laughs> at, at halftime, he, he's capable of putting drives together when the Seahawks actually decide to, to call passing plays and not try to establish the run, like you mentioned. Um I mean the Packers are the Packers are good, man. Like they they went 13 and 3. I know the Niners blew them out and a lot of 49ers fans are going to be very comfortable, you know, predicting the 49ers to win big and I do think that there's a decent chance that that happens, but the Packers are not a bad team. Like the they converted 9 of 14 on third down um against Seattle. They still have Aaron Rodgers who is who can be as good as anybody. Um, he hasn't quite been the same this year, but the defense, I mean, the, the Packers had the ninth scoring defense in the league um, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, they points per play. They were uh, 11th. Like, you know, I, I think the Niners are considerably better, but I think the Packers, if if Jimmy Garoppolo turns a ball over, you know, they, they have edge rushers, Adarius Smith and Preston Smith, who can cause problems similar to the way the Seahawks posed issues to the 49ers tackles in November. Obviously, Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey are, are playing at far higher levels now. Um, but I, I do think the Packers can be a good team, a, a formidable team to the 49ers in a playoff scenario. And Kyle Shanahan said it today, like I've he, he basically said, like, I've seen these scenarios where you get blown out by a team or you blow out a team. And then the next time you play a few weeks later, it's completely different. And we know that, right? Like the NFL is a week to week league. 
Um, very rarely yeah. do do things, you know, carry over each week. Momentum doesn't necessarily, um, you know, isn't isn't necessarily a rule in in the NFL. It, uh, you know, like it's a concept, but it's not like a rule. Um, and the Titans are are proving that it's it, you know, that momentum can exist, but it's not necessarily a rule. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't I haven't taken the deep dive into the Packers yet, aside from watching the game on Sunday and, and from what I know about them because these two teams played in November. So I look forward to doing that as, as the week goes on. But what are your initial thoughts on on Green Bay and, and how these two teams match up? I have a take and okay. it's a hot one. Okay, that's what that's what this pod is for. I don't think that the 49ers are going to win by 30 points again. Okay, that wasn't as hot as you made it sound. <laughs> no, I know. That was that was sarcasm. Um yeah. <laughs> No, I just I I I think that these two teams are and Kyle Shanahan said it today that that game just kind of got away from the Packers on that Sunday night in week 12. These teams are are way more evenly matched than I think um that first that first game indicated. And when Aaron Rodgers is on the field, the opposing offense always has a shot. And the 49ers, as, as well as they played against Minnesota, like I said earlier, I think they're going to have to get more from Jimmy Garoppolo this game. I don't think they need 400 yards and five touchdowns from him, but they need more than six passes in the second half because they're probably going to need them. Yeah, they're on a six-game winning streak. Although... Yeah. Their opponents don't look great. I mean, the the best win that they had since losing to the 49ers in late November. Uh, let's go through it. So they went to the Giants, won 31-13. Uh, hosted Washington, won by five. Hosted Chicago, won 21-13. Went to Minnesota, which ultimately decided the division championship. Uh, or the division crown, I should say, uh, that Monday night game, week 16, they they beat them pretty badly, 23 to 10. Uh, sort of similar to what the 49ers did, I guess. The difference being is that it was in Minnesota. Man, the Vikings had 139 total yards in that game. Oof. Uh, 82 passing, 57 rushing. So kind of similar to what the 49ers just did to the Vikings. And then they had sort of the throwaway game, uh, in the finale beating the lions 23 to 10 and it wasn't all that impressive a performance to end the season but there wasn't a whole lot on the line i mean i mean i guess they had to win that game to get the the bye in the first round um they almost lost that game they did yeah they should have lost that game i remember (laughs) yeah we were uh i was in seattle and i kept looking at the scores while we were doing pregame stuff and it was like man like the Packers aren't really going to screw this up, are they? And then, and then they ended up winning, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think the Packers are probably as good as their record would indicate. Um, They're probably closer to an 11 win team than a 13, 13 win team. And I mean, they're the schedule in the NFC or at least all the teams they played. I think they got, they got the NFC East, which obviously wasn't great. Um, they got the AFC West. Let's see. They beat the Broncos, who aren't particularly good. They thumped the Raiders. Uh, they won at the Chiefs in a game. Was that a Matt Moore game? Yes. And uh, and they lost to the Chargers in that pretty alarming game. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, and then uh, beat Carolina, not that good at barely, home. And, barely and beat Carolina. Carolina had the ball like at the one-yard line at the end of the game. Right. Right. So, I mean, the 49ers are seven-point favorites, and I, I think that's totally fair. Um, But it's I, I do think it's going to be a different game than what we saw in late November. I don't think it's going to be a complete throttling, but... Um, I'm not going to pick the Packers <laughs> no, based, on, based on my initial, my initial impressions, um, on the limited studying I've done of them so far, but I'm um, watching them against Seattle and, and you know, what I, what I saw November 24th, which is probably clouding my judgment a little bit too much, 
But I'm going to go back in uh, this week and, and watch the condensed versions of their games um, in December to see what happened after that Niners game, because that was a little bit weird. But they have won six straight and they did win a playoff game. And uh, Aaron Rodgers is is capable of of great things. And their defense is talented enough to where, you know, they could force some turnovers. They could get some sacks and put the 49ers in some bad situations. Um, but I would be. I would be really surprised if the 49ers came out and, and didn't play well um, offensively in that in that game, given that, you know, they were th- they were throttled. I mean, the, the passing game was pretty limited by the Vikings and what they were doing. And Garoppolo didn't play particularly well, but. Um, put it this way, I'm just going to be surprised if the 49ers offense doesn't play well. And then yeah, the defense so. it's, is, it's is hard to see them not playing well back to back weeks. Right. And the defense, you know, now with everybody healthy, um, the defense is going to be a serious problem. Right. And in that Packers game against Aaron Rodgers, you'll remember the 49ers had, uh, let me do some math, three, four, five five sacks. Uh, D Ford did not play in that game. D Ford didn't play. Quan Alexander didn't play. Robbie Gold didn't play. Uh, Matt Robbie Rita Gold play underrated effect on the defense. <laughs> I'm just listing through off the top of my head yeah, the guys yeah, yeah. that they were missing in that one. Um, Ford, Brita, Gold, Quan, and Staley, right? Yes. Yeah, Staley missed that one. Yeah, because that was the game after Seattle. He hurt his finger. Anyways. Um, so yeah, and that was the first of those three games against the Packers, Ravens and Saints that, you know, we thought would really define the 49ers season. And, and it sort of did at least the regular season, they ended up going two and one. Um, and maybe that hasn't aged super well since the Ravens are now out and the Saints are out, but you know, things happen. And at that point, those were, you know, three of the best teams in the league, three of the best teams on the 49ers schedule for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Is that all we got? Yeah, that's it. All right. We are going to be back with a preview podcast later in the week, probably recorded on a Thursday. So it'll be on your feeds on Friday. Um, We may or may not have a guest. We will. You guys will just have to find out because we don't really know yet and uh and yeah enjoy the week there's going to be a lot of content coming out a lot of aaron Rodgers talk um apparently Did you know? <laughs> oh are we gonna say the same thing uh i doubt it because my nugget is really really deep that nobody ever talks about what were you gonna say uh i was gonna say that i heard somewhere that the 49ers passed on aaron Rodgers in the draft that's what I was going to say. 2005. Wow. We should have a podcast together. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there will be some interesting Niners, Packers uh, storylines. Matt LaFleur, obviously Kyle Shanahan's um, twin slash former quarterbacks coach. And uh, yeah, we will talk about all those things on Thursday. So read NinersWire.com. Kyle's killing it over there. Um, I write words on the Sacramento Bees website and print editions of the newspaper, which you should also check out and subscribe because supporting local journalism and allowing me to live in an expensive place in the Bay Area. Not that my house is expensive um, I would, or at least relative. My, my, my place is expensive, but I don't live in like an expensive place. Does that make sense? Like I'm, right. I'm not slumming it, but I'm anyway. Um, I have a dog <laughs> to feed. So if you could subscribe to the Sacramento Bee, that would be awesome. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you guys later in the week.